Welcome to a World on Fire and All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host for this episode, Martin Gray. How are you, Martin? Hello there, Billy. I'm fine. Hello from sunny Helide, Scotland. Yeah, I'm over here in uh, the States, you know, East Coast, and uh, we've had a bit of a dreary week, but as we were talking beforehand, there's some sunnier skies on the way within the next couple of weeks, so I'm uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, we've, we've, we've had sleet and snow, but I'm working from home, so it's not been too bad. Yeah, not too bad at all. Again, we, we're not going to gripe and complain about these first world problems. You know, we <laughs> there's a lot more going on in the world. So we're going to we're going to yeah. stay positive with what we've got going on because we're, we're, we're blessed. We are. We're blooming lucky. Let's go back to another war on a fiction earth. Yeah, for sure. So, wow, this was a really good two parter here. We're going to be going over uh, All Star Squadron uh, 48 and 49 from 1985. And I thought this was a really good little two part story here by Roy. And it brought back, you know, one of uh, my favorite uh, All Star Squadron members and uh, uh, Sir Justin, you know, the Shining Knight. So, what do you think about him? I like Sir Justin. <laughs> I mean, I'm, because I'm jolly well English, I enjoyed seeing him back in the comic. And actually, just struck me today, this, this is probably either it's something that's really obvious to everybody else, or it's just me making up something that's not there. But it suddenly struck me, Sir Justin, that's only, Justin is only one letter, well, two letters away from jousting. Could that have been in their minds when they made him up? <laughs> Could be, yeah, you never know. I mean, it would make sense, right? It would make some kind of sense. <laughs> probably just, just the, the comic fan looking for connections that aren't there. Oh, yeah. Always, you know, searching those things out, those little uh, chestnuts in these books. You know, Roy was big on that. He was. He was. He's my mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, this is a good one. I really enjoyed this one. Good two-parter here. And right before uh, the big uh, issue 50, which we'll get to that later, we'll have a little, I'll, uh, you know, let the listeners in on a, a little secret for uh for that episode that we're going to talk about. But uh, for right now, yeah, we're talking about All-Star Squadron. Uh, and this is issue 48, 1985. And this is uh, Roy Thomas, writer-editor. Uh, Mike Harris, newcomer as penciler. Vince Coletta, inker. Uh, Carl Gafford, colors. And David Cody Weiss, letters. And then uh, the newcomer, Mike Harris, and Tony DiZuniga on the cover. So uh, what about this cover? What do you think of this cover here, Mark? Well, ew, this cover... I mean, did someone say, I'll have a stiff one? Because that's what you've got with this. Well, it's unsigned, but we know who the artists are because it's related elsewhere. But there's this, mm-hmm. there's no, I mean, there's no dynamism in the composition, which has, you know, the shiny, you know, the shiny knight confronting all, all-star heroes. He's obviously possessed, but there's no dynamism. The figure works pretty awkward. The shiny knight looks like his head is trying to escape his torso as far as I can see. But <laughs> I mean, am I wrong there? No, you're right. It, it does look very odd. I especially was drawn to Firebrand. She looks, it doesn't look like her, <laughs> the face. It just, it, I don't know. That, that looks totally off to me, her face. I, I agree. And the, the, the fire, I think the coloring that down here, but the, the fire doesn't look like fire. But I still think there's, there's a little bit of personality in the figure work. For example, you can see the obvious reticence in Robot Man. He's, you know, he's stunned, which I like. So mm. it, it's not all bad. It's not, it's not brilliant, but we've been spoiled by the likes of Joe Yordway and Joe Cubitt for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like special guest star in the bottom right-hand corner of Blackhawk. So I do like that. And then it says, like, on a scroll of paper, Camelot, 1942. I do like that part of the cover. But otherwise, yeah, it's a little stiff. I do. I, I actually, really, I made a note. I do like the inside image. And, again, yeah, the lettering, which, according to the superb Grand Comic Book database, is probably the work of the veteran classic letterer Casper Saladino. Mm, oh, yeah. Yep. He, he did a lot of really cool logos and... You know, on the, some of these splash pages when there'd be a really good, you know, masthead or something that he did a lot of work like that, which is super cool. Oh, he did, he did brilliant work. I mean, he's one he's one of the people who always pop up on, I don't know whether you ever read Todd, Todd Klein's blog on lettering where he looks at comic book logos and it's absolutely fascinating, you know, some of the work in there. But yeah, Gaspar Saladino, wherever you are now, and I think it's probably hereafter, I salute you. Absolutely. But yeah, this cover, like you said, a little stiff. You have the Shining Knight holding uh, uh, his sword there and pointing at three of the All-Stars. We have Firebrand, Dr. Fate, and then uh, Robot Man. And like you said, yeah, a little stiff. And, you know, but hey, like you said, it's his first time out here. So we'll you know, cut Mike Harris a little bit of slack. And then Blackhawk in the corner there, too. So that's really cool that, you know, we're going to get uh, to see him and uh, the rest of those aerialists as well, which is super cool. So, all right, my friend. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Our Man as well. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. I, I really liked the cast of characters. You know, it wasn't the whole team in this two-parter, just a few of the All-Stars, but I like who they chose. Oh, yeah, it, it, it's a good bunch, certainly. And it's, it's just nice to have it focused, you know, not going, rather than going from one bunch to other, but having, you know, having a few there. But I think on the cover, with Our Man not being there, he must be off washing his towel. <laughs> yeah, I think he is trying to fix his hourglass. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right. Well, hey, anytime you are ready to regale us with your uh, synopsis, Mark, you may fire away, my friend. Okie doke. Well, as Camelot 1942 begins, it's March of that year, and the All-Star Squadron's British-based member, the Shining Knight, lands at the site of Camelot. Inside the ruined castle, he's confronted by a silent knight who, in the midst of battle, appears to be his old liege, King Arthur. Even as his stunned suggestion swears fealty anew, He's punched into unconsciousness by his supposed friend. A day later, All-Star's firebrand, robot man, our man and Dr. Fate are flying over to the UK from the US in answer to a summons from Britain's Prime Minister Winston Churchill. As firebrand uses her powers to blowtorch a new jetpack onto robot man's back, her would-be beau, our man, worries about firebrand meeting her almost boyfriend, Sir Justin, again. As they reach London, they see a battalion of German fighter planes attacking. Before our heroes can throw themselves into the fray, a flight of airplanes appears to defend the big smoke, the famed Blackhawks, an independent squadron of international fighter pilots. Dr. Fate, Firebrand and Robot Man leap out into the night, while our man stays behind, feeling useless. Robot Man's jets don't look to be doing a great job of keeping a 500-pound metal man in the air, until he tries flapping. Hmm. Firebrand bounces from plane to plane, disabling them, hoping the aircrew have parachutes. Dr. Fate, who was recently depowered, still manages to put his Superman-level flight and strength to good use, smashing the Hun. He doesn't need the spells. After seeing off the Ratsies, the Mystery Men greet the Black Hawks at an aerodrome outside London. They're joined there by Winston Churchill himself, and then every Black Hawk but the boss returns to their secret island to plot against the Nazis. Churchill explains that Sir Justin went to investigate a mysterious incident in southern England. Something had been cutting off communications with the rest of the world. Suspecting, fearing magic, Winston asked for the All-Star Squadron to send the Spectre or Dr. Fate to help. He needed a specialist. And here we are back in the present. The All-Stars and Blackhawk reach the site of Camelot and see a castle risen anew. It's no longer ruins. They also see knights, King Arthur and Merlin the Wizard. The ancient enchanter attacks our heroes with his spells. Everyone falls but Dr. Fate, who punches Merlin. And it turns out that the wizard is a wind-up merchant, a robot. And he's a robot with a big bomb inside him. Thwaboom! Dr. Fate is down, but he's not out. He knows that if he falls, the also squadron is probably doomed. King Arthur turns to Dr. Fate, reaches upwards, and we see that his face is a mask. Our hero isn't facing the legendary King of Britain. It's his own old foe, Wotan. And Wotan commands the zombie fighters adjusted to kill Dr. Fate. Hmm. So that was a good one. So I did think of this while I was reading this story, and I actually have never spoken to anyone from England about this. So for me, as an American, when I was a little kid, I was absolutely enthralled with King Arthur and the Knights and Camelot and all of that stuff. And of course, when I was like a tiny little kid, before you would even know better, you would think all of that was actual history. <laughs> so, you know, once you get to be a little bit older, you realize, okay, like some of these things are pulled from history and maybe some other things are not. But I was absolutely enthralled with that lore. Is it hold that kind of weight to people that were born and raised in England? And now I wouldn't ask you to speak for all of England, but, you know, hey, we're, we're in the situation where you and I are on Skype here. So I will ask your opinion. Yeah, I can, I can certainly keep, I mean, in my generation, I, I grew up and, you know, King Arthur was everywhere in popular culture. We had the children's TV series, Arthur of the Britons, with Oliver Tobias as a, well, we're trying to do, a, you know, a more realistic version of him even even then, you know, not, not so much the Shining the shining Warrior King as uh, a tribal leader against the Romans, which is interesting. He'd mm -hmm. pop up in comics the whole time. We had, uh, well, actually it was over from America, we had Captain Britain's Origin who was tied, tied to Excalibur and Merlin and everything mm -hmm. like that. He'd be in books. I remember I actually had a copy, and I, I read it when I was about eight. I had a copy. I don't know why. Of uh, I can't. I can't pronounce it probably. But the more Darth, you know, the, the French, the French. Oh yep. 
poem, yeah. I, I read all that, obviously, in translation, because I wasn't too bright, still aren't. And, uh, you know, he, he was on TV, he'd be popping in television programmes, he'd, he'd just be referenced the whole time. And, you know, while we did have the, you know, the scruffier TV version with Oliver Tobias, I preferred the, you know, the super, you know, the, the super classic shiny version of, you know, shine, you know, shiny, shining, godly kings and gorgeous mm-hmm. evil wizards and Morgan the Fair. So, yeah, I, I, I would think that, you know, we're probably pretty similar in, in terms of, of reverence for the, the stories. Yeah, I found them fascinating. I still do to this day. And I just was like, you know what? I've never gotten, you know, any feedback or opinion from someone who actually grew up over there. Cause obviously that's could be a huge difference in opinion, you know, cause someone that grew up in a country where, Oh, well, this is where this came from. They might be like, eh, that's old hat. I've heard that a thousand times. I don't give a crap about that. Whereas somebody like me, that grew up in the States is thinking, you know, Hey, wow, this is from another country. It's just, you know, absolutely. I was enamored with it when I was a youth. Absolutely. Just couldn't get enough of it. It's not a bad, not a bad role model to have. And I absolutely love the aspect of the legend. They claim that, you know, the author, you know, Arthur is, lie, is still lying somewhere under, is it Tinter Jail anyway? He's lying somewhere waiting to come back and save the kingdom in a time of greatest need. So that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. And I always had to, I, I needed to ask someone that question. And who better than you for sure, right? So, all right, now on to the comic book. Now that I got my childhood, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, appetite sated here for a minute. Uh, Camelot, 1942. This splash page, I love this splash page. And again, we said the art is pretty good. You know, it's it's definitely serviceable, good, maybe not great, but I love this splash page. You have Sir Justin on Winged Victory here, and, you know, he's talking to the horse down Winged Victory, and He's flying through the air over like, you know, a field here, a mountainous region, maybe a little bit of a farm or something. But, oh, it looks absolutely gorgeous. What do you think of that? Oh, it's, it's beautiful, Billy. I'd say it's the artistic highlight of the comic. I mean, the first few pages in particular, it's just very, very delicate. And I know a lot of people don't like a lot of work by Vince Coletta, but inking, inking Mike Harris in at least the first few pages, he does a great job. They're a really nice team together. And I, I suspect that Mike Harris, you know, because this was his big shot, he was maybe spent a little too much time on the early part of the book and then was running out towards the end. But, uh, mm-hmm. no, I mean, the first few pages just, just, just look wonderful. It's, it's, I think he's maybe going for that Prince Valiant flavor. But did you notice what's missing from that first page, the splash page? Um, no, I don't know. Uh, you mean, I talking about Sir Justin and Winged Victory or just in general? It, no, in terms of something that appears on pretty much every, every, page, every splash page of every issue. That I don't particularly enjoy. Oh no, uh uh-uh. uh. The quote. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but you're right. Yeah, it's back next time, but I actually I just love the fact that we have the, the title Camelot nineteen forty two with an asterisk to an editor's note where where mm-hmm. says, you know, with the tip of the hat to Mike Barr and Brian Bolland who created their own quite different, quite beautiful truth. I mean it would be nice if you actually mentioned Camelot 3000, but that, li- that little nod, it's, it's great. It's given them a story title. I know, and that really was like a poke to me to say, read that story, because I did get the, I think it was a, some kind of like really nice hardcover edition of that story that came out. What was that? You know, early 80s there. They, they yeah. redid it not too many years ago in a very beautiful hardcover edition with all this extra material in the back. And I do have it, but I still have not read it. But I thumbed through it. And of course, Brian Ball and Art looks absolutely gorgeous in it. Yeah, I'm ashamed to say that I also have a billion. I also haven't got around to reading it yet. This is why I just need to retire. You know, read books. <laughs> I'm telling you, you and me both. That's that's just it. I have enough here I could read till I'd be way in the grave anyway. So it's a, it should be it's a good time to retire. I should be able to do it. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, those first few pages, you know, like I said, with me being a huge fan of the Arthurian lore here, man, it's great. And then, like you said in your synopsis, of course, this, you know, what we think is King Arthur here clobbers Sir Justin and knocks him out. And you're thinking, what is going on here? And, you know, the cover doesn't give you any kind of a an idea to what's going on, you know, so if you were just reading this book when it was coming right off the stands, you were really thrown for a loop here and had no clue. And I do like how it jumps right, you know, to our all-stars on that plane heading over to uh, England. And then, wow, you see, uh, 
you know, the, the bombers, the Nazi bombers here bombing uh, London. And it's just, oh, it looks absolutely awful. Like, oh, it's just to even think, you know, Firebrand, she just looks and, oh, my God, is all she can say. And it's it's pretty rough. It, it is, it is. But I'm disappointed. I mean, the, the play, I mean, in the, in the lessons page, Roy mentions that new artist Mike Harris wanted, you know, he particularly wants to be drawing a World War II type book. But I'm disappointed by, you know, the fact that you don't actually see London. It's just, it looks as if he's over cornfields or something. I was just, you know, mm-hmm. you've just got, you know, lines and some of them are coloured yellow in between. And I like, I like, I like the, the purple and pink explosions. I don't know whether that's realistic, but well done, Carl Gaffin, for a bit of imagination there. But, uh, yeah, it, it looks it looks pretty good, but ah, let's, let's go on from there. Yeah, the landscape is really lacking there. The planes look good, and like you said, the smoke from the bombs, but the, yeah, the landscape is really lacking there. But, you know, we like you said, too, in your synopsis, we get, you know, amongst, you know, this Arthurian lore, then we shift to World War II, but then, like you said, you also get that uh, little bit of a personal moment there where, you know, our man's thinking in the back of his head that he's, you know, sweet on firebrand, but he knows there was a bit of a connection with her and uh, Sir Justin before, you know, many, many issues ago, but obviously not too long ago in comic book time here, a few months probably, but, you know, he's worried that, you know, they're going to meet back up and rekindle a spark there. And I, I like that, that human touch to it as well, thrown in there with all this chaos. I really do. I mean, the, the, the soap opera is a big part of why I like this series so much. So it's just ex- excellent to have it in there. Mm-hmm. And then I, I guess I forgot to mention too, you know, who, uh, who's piloting the, the plane here for them which is pretty cool too. I mean, they all, I do like two hour, man. He's kind of feeling down on himself because everybody else can leave the plane and fly and do this and do that. He kind of feels like a a bit of a fifth wheel there that he can't really do much. So I do feel bad for him there. I do, do, because that's the thing, because were he on the ground, he could just, you know, jump straight into the fray. But, you know, as he said, you know, he can't, he can't fly. (laughs) uh... (laughs) Yeah. Firebrand though. She has a real good showing of herself here too. She's really like, they've really, uh, you know, amped up her powers here that she's fully in flames and smashing through the Nazi planes. And oh, she looks great here. I do love that page. I think it's uh, maybe page nine where she's, uh, you know, on fire and she's going through the planes and knocking them down. And then Iron Man and Black Hawk, you know, see uh, what's going on. I do, I do. I like, I like the fact that, you know, you've got the little patoom, kathoom, foom, foosh, kakoom. And then, you, you know, the first panel, you know, it is just the explosion, then you see it. But, but later on, you, you know, the, the figures of the, the, the other characters in battle, they're just, they're just tiny. You know, you, you can barely, you can barely see them. That's part of why I think Mike House was running out of, running out of time. Because even before that, you know, when, when they're on the plane, when you have that big splash panel of the hawk, the black hawks coming into battle on page nine, Below that, there's a lovely little sort of panel of motion where you've got you've got uh, Robot Man and Doctor Fate jumping out of the plane, and then you've got sort of Iron Man dragging, banging onto onto the windows, which <laughs> look like a warehouse windows rather than an airplane. But still, you can see you know the the, the G force or whatever it is dragging him down. And mm-hmm. It's it's just it's just surprising to me that after that first panel of uh, the, the Black Hawk Squadron, as far as I can see, you don't actually see them again in battle. It just focuses on the All-Stars as if, like, he's just putting exactly what Roy mentioned specifically in the, in the script, perhaps, and just forgot to put, like, you know, a little Black Hawk plane in here and there, or maybe a, a picture of one of the Black Hawks in close-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit of a shame they didn't focus on them a little bit more, but I'm there. the Black Hawks are really a... A, a blind spot for me. I think I have maybe one or two single issues of a series that came out maybe in the seventies at some point of theirs. Is this I, one by, yeah, this one by uh, Mark Avanu and Dan Spiegel. Yeah, I think I might have one or two issues of that, um, and that's all I have. And I really don't know a whole lot about them, other than that they were. I think they were weren't they quality characters? Originally quality characters like plastic, like Plastic Man, and yeah, bought by DC, and DC continued the numbering of the book. And in in the, in the Silver Age, you, you probably know this, but when DC was trying different things like the hunted metal men, having the metal men pretending to be real real human beings, and you know you had Lois, you know, Wonder Woman going losing her powers. The Blackhawks for a while they they adopted strange superhero identities, which happily didn't stick as. One of them was called the ear. 
you know, he had his <laughs> all over his costume. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's strange. Someone, someone will pipe in, hopefully. But yeah, but yeah, they were cancelled canceled for about 10 years or something and came back in the, the mid-70s, mid to late 70s. And I forget how many issues I had, maybe 15, something like that. But honestly, basically, buy every issue of that you ever see if it's cheap. Because along with All-Star Squadron, which terribly isn't collected in an omnibus, come on, DC. But uh, if that was ever collected, that would be an absolutely beautiful volume. Because as well as Dan Spiegel, you have backup work by Dave Cockrum. Uh, just, just the ongoing storyline. is it's, it's just wonderful stuff. Really, really good. Yeah, and then they can you know, they land after uh, the. I guess there's a few of the uh, Nazi uh, bombers that are still left, and they just kind of retreat. And we see that nice scene on uh, page 14, I think it is, where the All Stars meet the Blackhawks, and they go through a bit of a roll call there. I like that quite a bit. And then that bottom panel, which is a close up there of the two Blackhawks, I really like that panel. That's one of my favorite panels in the entire book. Zutalo, it is. It's totally <laughs> back in the idol, Blackhawk, and I think behind the guys, if I remember right, he's got on Andre. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. I mean, it, it, that's a very nice page indeed. Yeah, probably you know among the nicest pages in the book. Yeah, and I mean the very next page, Churchill has you know a, a pretty decent sized panel where I think they get his likeness pretty well. But man, on the very next page, he doesn't look so great. It's kind of, <laughs> it's like one page, I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good likeness of Churchill. And then on the next page, I'm like, boy, there's two panels that have Churchill in it. And he looks more like Archie Bunker from All in the Family on the top yeah. of page 16 there. <laughs> uh, yeah, or Alfred, or Alfred Hitchcock or something. Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, going back, if I may, just, just as back to mm-hmm. I whinging about the, the lack of seeing the Blackhawk Squadron. Oh yeah. The, the one thing that really is missing on the, on the the big splash panel of mm-hmm. the Blackhawks coming into the fray fighting against the purple smoke is they had this famous they had the famous uh, war cry which they always did when they went into battle. It's called Hawka Hawka. I don't know if anyone <laughs> has a, a sound file of how that should sound, but that really should be there. Come on, Roy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I mean I think. It's nice to have something like this popping up in there, but it seemed like Roy was very resistant to uh, using anything other than, you know, JSA characters and the All-Star Squadron members here in this book. You know, I mean, it seemed like he was really, he really wanted to keep this in his own little corner, but I do like adding the Blackhawks. That's a nice touch because obviously, like we said, they weren't even DC characters at the time, but they were, you know, World War II characters. So I really do like that, that he added them in there. But yeah, a couple more, little more things would have been nice. Absolutely. Did did you like, uh, I don't know, what page was it? Let me see. A, li- a little bit, a, li- a little meta gag by 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 robot man on page last last panel of page 10 page 10 you said robot man yeah final panel oh yeah where he's flying through the air and he says i liked how you put that in your synopsis too how he's not really flying all that well with his jetpack and he starts flapping his wings and he goes maybe if i try it hawkman style and he does start to do a little bit better and he says okay access here i come and he goes hmm must have read that somewhere <laughs> I do like that. I do, I do. I like the nice little nod to the invaders. And actually, you by making me look again for about the fourth time this weekend, and that's the first time I've noticed it. Yes, when he starts flapping, there's that's our little Hawkman of the issue. I was thinking Hawkman wasn't in the issue, and there he is. Yep, in the smoke is his image. <laughs> yeah, oh, which that, that's Roy. So... Oh man, Roy, he was something else with trying to put him in here somewhere or another. That was funny. He's just just fantastic fun. And I did forget to mention, too, on that very next page, there was a callback to when Firebrand is, you know, smashing through all these Nazi planes. She does. There is a little callback when he has she has some inner monologue about, uh, you know, her racism towards the Japanese and how she's like, you know, trying to be like, yeah, I got over that. But, you know, these Germans, I'm going to kill them anyway, because, you know, they're (laughs) because they're Germans and they're Nazis. Like, she's funny how she kind of words it, you know, like. Yeah, I got over that against uh, the Japanese people, but these guys are fair game. Oh, <laughs> I think I was re- reading that in a kind of way. I, I, I thought you <laughs> want them to have Paris. Oh, yeah, but yes, he says, yeah, yeah, everyone that's caught up in the war, same as I am. But if I ever get my flaming mitts on her Hitler or those Nighting Fox come. So, yeah, she'd murder, she would kill them. But the regular ones in the previous panel, I think she 
hoping they have parachutes. I think she probably doesn't care too much, but she's at least acknowledging that she's had a little, a little bit of character growth there. Yeah, I do like that, you know, because, again, that's not even something you'd see in a comic book probably for the last 30 years. But, you know, Roy, he did want to move these characters along and then call back to stuff, too. So I really liked that part. It wasn't a very big part, you know, one little two little panels there. But I did like that. I enjoyed that quite a bit that there was a callback. And then, like you said, some, you know, moving the character forward a bit. Well, it is. And it's, you know, given, given the amount of heroes he deals with, it's, it's, it's surprising how, you know, how few characters you ever you ever see sort of you know actually feeling actual antipathy towards the enemy you know conscripts as they usually are i mean mm. there was, generally there was only her and i think there was a bit in the star manager he wasn't he wasn't at all keen on them but uh yeah that's just a nice little moment of characterization mm-hmm. yeah for sure and then uh you know of course again all the all-stars take off to head towards you know where sir justin was last seen when three of them again can fly, and then there's poor hour man. He has to buddy up with Blackhawk in the plane, and he's kind of being a little bit like, you know, feeling down on himself in that little cockpit scene there too. That was cool. It was, it was, it was good. Yeah, he's poor, poor hour man. I mean, on an earlier, on an earlier episode, I was talking about how he wasn't my favorite, but you know, the more, the more we see him of him in terms of characterization, you know, helped by the fact you know he fancies the, the heck off out of Danette. I like I like him more and more as time goes on, and you know we know he ends up with Wendy, but for now, Danette's the one he wants. Yeah, and then I love that. Another good page I like too here is uh, I think it's eighteen, where you know we see the All Stars, you know, flying up, and uh, they come upon the castle, and there we see the uh, you know, like I said, Wotan in his uh, disguise, and a couple of the knights, and Merlin as well too. So again, you know, for me, I'm just like flipping out, like wow, this is great, you know, not knowing it's Wotan yet. You know, as you, if you're a little kid and you're reading this, you're thinking, this is really cool. The All-Stars are going to fight, you know, these, you know, Arthurian lore characters. Like, this is going to be great. So I really do enjoy that quite a bit. I like how Merlin's drawn. I like him quite a bit there. He looks pretty cool. Yeah, just total, total classic comic book Merlin. And I love in the central center of the three panels, the way you've got King Arthur looking, looking towards the camera. It's just a little bit different from what you normally get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's and looking I, a little sinister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that in back back in these days when they couldn't really have full bleeds in the regular comics, it's a shame nowadays you can fully imagine that you'd have you know the, the spires of Camelot coming out out of the main main panel board and you know Merlin Merlin's pointy hat sticking out and things. But I think again this is one of this is one of Mike Harris's better pages, and I think mm-hmm. that you know did well by him. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it's just it's like I said, we're not slamming the art. It's you know got a couple of good pages here and there, and it's serviceable throughout, but. There are a couple pages and panels here and there that stand out. And, and the ones that don't, you know, they're okay. They're just, they're not, you know, like you said, they're not the Jerry Ordway or Joe Kubert or Arvel Jones. And I'm trying to think of who was inking him. That was really well, it's, you know, really good too. You know, it's just, it's not that level. No, no, not, not, not quite at all. But it's generally, it's, I've really enjoyed looking at this comic again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like you said, Merlin, he just blasts Robot Man and Firebrand away like they're just, you know, gnats, but, you know, Dr. Fate goes right at him. Like I said, then there's this explosion and Fate's a little groggy, and then we see it's, you know, Wotan, not King Arthur there. So, yeah, that yeah. was a good one. I like this one. This is a good comic overall. I did love the, uh, you know, the, the cliffhanger there. It was, you know, you'll, you'll be back next issue. I mean, and good on, good on Dr. Fate for being able to face stand up to Merlin the robot there. Although that panel on page twenty-one, panel panel four, if you look at the awkwardness of Doctor Fate punching Merlin, it's a veteran like Vinnie Coletta should have corrected that. It just looks so weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. That the, before the explosion there. Yeah, it does yeah. look a bit odd. Yeah, I mean it's pretty much half disguised by by you know, the, the pink mist going across under his armpit, but it's. It's, it looks to me like, you know, like the two arms come from the one side of the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does look a bit off there. Or his arms like, you know, seven feet long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what, what format are you? Are you in this on the original comic or online? Uh, the original comic. Yeah, because my, my original comic's in England. But uh, I did, you know, I did rebar. I've, I've just reported on, D, on DC, on, on Comicsology, so I can have a decent copy. But I also, I, che- I also checked against a, a cheeky online copy as well. And I see that on... On the there's three pinups in the back, three Golden Age galleries. Oh yeah. Only two of them. We you know Green. We have Green Lantern. We have Wonder Woman, 
and we have Doctor Midnight, and you know they're mm. all about Mike Clark and, and Inca Joey Acerno, Acerno, I think probably. But the Doctor Midnight one's not in the comicsology file. I'm thinking, I can't see any reason, nothing controversial in the images to why that should be, because they're all lovely images. Oh yeah, the Doctor Midnight's my favorite one of all three. Even though I do really like the Green Lantern one, because the Green Lantern one looks, you know, very Golden Age. It's it oh. looks like a very Golden Age image, but. Yeah, that Doctor Midnight, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just you know love love the original logos, but Roy Thomas does lose lose a point though, because in his uh, little note on the pinup, he says, "And here's everyone's favorite Amazon princess, shown in such an early adventure that she's still sporting the star-spangled skirt she wore for the first few issues of Sensation Comics." They're collots, Roy. He knows they're collots. Why? <laughs> hmm. Yep. I, hey, take like I said, take a point off for that one. But that's a good image, too. You know, and this guy that did them is uh, Mike Clark. That He says Roy says in his uh, little synopsis here under the Golden Age Gallery. And it's the first one, which is the Dr. Midnight. It says this issue's very special gallery presents the three illustrations by newcomer Mike Clark, which earned him a berth as a co-regular artist with Arvel Jones beginning in issue 50. And he says not to mention a couple pages last issue. So. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a nice introduction to the two because I really like all three. Hard to pick, hard to pick a favorite. Yeah, it really is. Like I said, I I love that Doctor Midnight, but when I look at that Green Lantern, I think to myself, but that looks like you know it was drawn in the Golden Age, so I really like that one too. The Wonder Woman one is good too. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's a tie for first place between those two for me. I think so. Oh, and if if I may, Billy, if you if you better. Oh, if I can just pop back to the final page of the story a second. Mm-hmm. Now, we're all used to villains unmasking themselves on Scooby-Doo and, you know, holding the mask in their hand. Uh-huh. Look at Wartan holding that mask on panel three. <laughs> yes, that looks absolutely bizarre. Like, I feel like they should have just had him pull the mask off and discard it, like throw it on the ground or something, because he's holding it in his right hand, and it looks really weird. <laughs> it, it looks crazy. Yeah, and I think I think I tweet that out because it's just, just <laughs> high in the scalp. It's just, it's funny though because you know I, I do like the way he's. I wonder whether he's based water on anybody in particular because all, all the way through is he, it's like it's like he really enjoys drawing water. He's you know just really very handsome demon. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Even that very top panel where he's getting ready to pull the mask off looks a bit odd. Where he's grabbing the hair and it's just it looks a little strange too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the only other, other note I have had on the art is that uh, when that's when that silent knight who turns out to be King Arthur-ish on on page three or four, whatever, he's mm-hmm. got six toes. Might just be the boots have six toes, but he's got six toes. Six. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, it does look like there's a, an extra one there on those uh, those those shoes. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, but oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I thought this was a, a pretty strong issue. You know, thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, tons of fun. Like I said, for me, it's like there's a lot in that issue when you're switching gears that fast from like an Arthurian story to World War II and a couple of personal bits in there. And then, you know, to Wotan thrown in the Blackhawks. That issue had a lot of a lot going on, which that can also mean uh, more chances for a writer and art team to kind of slip up, maybe. But like we said, this was a very strong uh, issue and story here uh, by Roy. Which I'm not surprised because he's Roy Thomas. <laughs> yeah, and good good work all around. And wherever you are now, Mr. Harris, I hope you're well and nice job, your man. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, we can move on to All-Star Squadron number 49. And this one is uh, from 1985 as well, cover date in September. Uh, and Mike Harris and Tony DiZuniga cover. Roy Thomas, writer-editor, Mike Harris, penciler. And then we have Vinnie Coletta and then a couple of pages by Dizuniga as well, inking and Carl Gafford colors and David Cody Weiss letters. And uh, what about this cover? I like this one a bit better than the previous one. How about you? I do, yeah. I mean, the cover, the cover image shows Sir Justin bearing down with the sword upon our man on the ground. And uh, have the traditional floating heads. And this time, of course, it's a Black Hawk, Robot Man, Firebrand. I'm going to call it Brandy. It's Brandy. There you go. And Doctor Fate, <laughs> and you have the big, a big serpent of wartime in the background, and I like it because not only do you have the, the central image is just gorgeous, really, really effective, nice dynamism. You also have, you know, the four floating head, very Marvel style, very All Star Squadron, and the extra giant floating head of wartime. 
and you know a wonderful blur promising a special surprise guest star it's brilliant the, the colors are great the composition is fantastic it's certainly my favorite of the two yeah i love the little box there in the corner too it's the wrath of wotan i love that that's really good too i really enjoy that i love when they have like not tons of you know uh, exposition on a cover but one little ones like that i do enjoy those yeah yeah you don't need any anything more really but I didn't actually name the guest star because we're going to shock the readers, aren't we? Shock the readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Shining Knight, his facial expression is like murderous, and that's really good. I like that too because, again, you know, you're expecting a friend here, but he ends up not being a friend in the beginning here. Yeah, it's it's funny that you know that uh, Mike Harris wanted to be drawn the, the World War Two character because he's just got a real facility for this Arthurian fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, those first few pages of the last issue they were really the standouts of the entire issue there so yeah he should have been drawing uh, some kind of arthurian lore <laughs> comic book as well that would have been great enough but uh okay well if you're ready we can uh, roll right into uh, 49 here get in there my... okay so the story continues and we see dr fate versus the shining knight sir justin eventually ko's fate with a little help from winged victory the three heroes end up trapped in a machine that Wotan has constructed, and it not only holds them prisoner, but also saps their strength as well. We then see there is another captive of Wotan's nearby. Dr. Occult is behind bars after a run-in with Wotan earlier. Just then, the British forces move in on the castle. Wotan and his robotic forces begin to lay waste to them. As things are looking bleak, Our Man and Blackhawk show up and turn the tide of the battle. Our man's hourglass is broken, though, so he has no idea when his 60 minutes are up, and he's going to lose his strength. And then he absolutely does so, right in the middle of combat, and must pop another Miraclo pill. Sir Justin then finally breaks free from Wotan's control and frees his fellow All-Stars, plus Dr. Occult. Our man then collapses from an apparent heart attack, and Dr. Fate examines him, and says he's barely clinging to life and needs to get to a hospital immediately. Okay, so big picture. What did you think of this one, Mark? Loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. I liked it even more than the previous issue. I thought the art was stronger all the way through. I liked the fact that you had Tommy's British, British soldiers involved in the battle. I liked that there was, you know, magic and science going bonkers everywhere, good battles. There was this cosmic jacuzzi. It was great on. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I like the splash page on this one, too. It's a little busier. It's like a, a shot, an overhead shot where it's showing, uh, you know, Sir Justin on Winged Victory and Wotan telling him, although Wotan looks like he's floating over uh, the moat of the castle there. <laughs> but he's saying to uh, go kill everybody and they're they're in, look like they're in big trouble here. Yeah, yeah. And we have the quote back. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's Roy. He uh, he's got a Winston Churchill quote there. It's like. It says, I did not become the king's first minister to preside over the, oh, boy, oh, boy, over the liquidation of the British Empire. <laughs> he did not know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's a difficult, difficult composition. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, he's did well, but I mean, the amount of words that Mike Harris is battling against here, he's, I mean, even, even, even letter of David Cody Weiss couldn't fit in his whole name. He's just Cody on this one as he's sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot squeezed into those two little boxes. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I like the smashed Blackhawk plane though on there too. That's awesome. Totally crumpled. Yeah. Goodness me. Surely, surely no one's alive in that. Yeah. I guess they parachuted out at the last minute, but Oh, and then we see Wotan. He's a, uh, I like Wotan. He's a good villain because he has a science and magic. And then he's also very arrogant. And I love arrogant supervillains. Those are my favorite. He really is. He, he, he knows the value of exposition. But uh, although there's, there's, there's this one point now, what, what page is that? On page, la, 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 la. Yeah, top of page seven. Mm -hmm. he's talking about his powers and he said, you know, because it's exposition, he's telling people things they know. So he says, as you know, Fate, I have always combined science and magic in my attempts to gain worldly powers. For what is magic but perverted science and vice versa? That sounds <laughs> impressive. You, you think about it for a few seconds, it's nonsense. How, oh. <laughs> I know the old thing about, you know, you know, the old line about, you know, any, any advancement of science looks like magic, but 
magic has perverted science and science has perverted magic. You're talking silly. <laughs> yeah, that's a little crazy there, but hey, it's Wotan here. He's you know he's a villain, so he can get away with it, I guess. But yeah, that's a that's a good part too. And I was wondering why uh, Roy had inserted uh, Doctor Occult into this one. That was a little bit of an odd choice, I thought. I mean, not that he doesn't fit in the way Roy put him in here, but I, it was just interesting to me. I thought, I wonder why he thought to put him in here because he really doesn't do much other than say about who he is and how he got into. The situation of being behind bars at Wotan's castle here. Otherwise, he basically does nothing. <laughs> I mean, good. I mean, good. Good by the editorial note on page bottom of page eight. What he says in the letter column, it does honestly seem. To, I mean, I'll, I'll read the note, but it seems to be nothing, nothing other than this. But he says, "Doctor Occult, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, appeared in Morphin Comics six to thirty three, nineteen thirty five to nineteen thirty eight. So it seemed only fitting he reappeared during DC's fiftieth anniversary celebration, RT. And he says pretty much the same on the letters page. So it seems to be nothing other than that. You know, Roy thought he should appear on the fiftieth anniversary year. He didn't think anyone else was going to use him in a comic." So he just stuck him in there because all he does, yeah, as you say, he's in the story. He's a captain when we meet him. He does a one page, you know, recap of his origin. You see, you see, you see some of his battles against vampires, and then you had a, a proto Superman style costume before Superman appeared. And then, you know, later on, he, even after the spells wore pretty much Officer Justin, he says, I used my magic symbol to get rid of the, the last remains of the spell again on Sir Justin. It's like, you didn't out, mate. You're just there. Looking <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you know i i do like the character here but and it was funny too immediately after reading that uh, little uh caption by roy i went to the dc app to see if they had any more fun comics six to 33 and they don't and i was like oh i was hoping to be able to read up a little bit on them yeah i think i think i've only read them in i've got well apart from secret origins and in, in odd times he appeared in superman in his original form i think i've got one of the dc hardback tabloid editions i think i think it might be action comics number one I think he's actually got about three pages in there. I've read him somewhere recently. He had three pages, black and white. And it was like, you know, like reading an old an old British comic strip, you know, that was so similar in those early days. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, for sure. But yeah, so, I mean, I do like that page. That's It's like a one-page splash where, like you said, it shows him uh, recounting his origin and what he's all about. And I do like that. It's a really cool page. I'd say it is a cool page, Billy, but I think if Roy's going to go to the trouble of putting me in the comic, for goodness sake, give him something to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like especially after they got, you know, uh, freed from being captive there, he could have just done something. But yeah, he does absolutely nothing. Absolutely. I feel bad. <laughs> what did you think of, going back away on page three, top panel of page three, what did you think of Dr. Fay's attitude towards animal welfare? Well, it's funny, too. I'd like the part where, you know, uh, Sir Justin yells out to Winged Victory to help him, basically, because, you know, fate knocks him right off of there because <laughs> fate, you know, he just charges right at uh, Sir Justin as he's on Winged Victory and he clobbers the horse. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, if it wasn't like some magic involved there, he might have killed that horse. Absolutely, because he's, think, he's thinking, you know, can't yeah, can't say I care much for slugging a horse, but maybe this will neutralise the knight without my having to hurt him. So, you know, he doesn't want to hurt the horse, but you'll bash the horse if it means he doesn't have to bash to just It's like, mm. I, I, I love I love Winged Victory. I, I want to see him in an issue of the Lost Super Team family issues, you know, with teaming up with Aragorn from Marvel. They'd be the best. Mm, and then I love how Winged Victory gives him a really good kick, and he says, "I feel like I've been kicked by Superman." <laughs> That's great. Quite right, too. He deserved it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he doesn't last long because, as he's you know on the ground trying to recover from getting kicked by the horse, Sir Justin clobbers him with the uh, sword there, and he eventually just passes out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and again, going go back to back to the greatness of wartime as a villain. I love the bottom of page five. Mike Harris has got a lovely little composition there where he's got uh, in the in the foreground we have Dr. Fate and Robert Man tied, you know, tied to the cosmic jacuzzi. And Wartime's just skulking into the last the first sixth of the panel from around the corner, you know, dropping in on their conversation. It's it's brilliant, really nicely framed. Yeah, one of those deals where they're having a conversation and they don't realize he's right around the corner and they're, you know, they're in, in mid conversation and he comes in and just inserts himself into the conversation, all very cocky and arrogant. I do like that. <laughs> it, it's very good stuff. I mean, uh, this, you know, this, these moments, maybe which I've seen a lot more of Mike Harris has been able to see him develop down the years. I just, I should have actually thought of looking up to see what happened to him. 
Yeah, and like you said, I wonder if he, you know, Mike Harris was uh, modeling uh, Wotan off of a, you know an actor from you know that time uh, because he looks you know very handsome, like a, an actor type throughout the entire book. He really does. He maybe Douglas Fairbanks or someone or someone like that. Yeah, I kind of thought that about uh, Doctor Occult too. I thought, hmm, Doctor Occult. I mean, he looks very uh, uh, Clark Kent in a couple of the pictures. You know, the the chiseled kind of face and the the dark black hair with the blue highlights going through it. He kind of looks like and he's even. Well, you even mentioned, you know, you said about the costume there being a pre-Superman costume, but like kind of red and blue as well. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's it's great. And on the corner of the montage where he's got, you know, Doctor uh, Occult introducing his story it's quite clever the way he's got the the shadows of the jail cell bars on there he's thinking about what he's doing mr harris you know he's got a lot of potential mm-hmm. yeah he and i did think too roy thomas too i think he was a, a bit of a fan of old you know pulp stories even the horror stories too because he makes a couple of lovecraft references in this as well he says where dr occult saying he fights werewolves vampires and even one of pikmin's inhuman models after he'd been and he was like oh okay so there's one there and there was another one later in the book too i'll try to remember but when well, then we switched to uh uncle adolf here <laughs> yes that was, that was quite interesting seeing, seeing such a long conversation between adolf because he doesn't usually assert himself into the stories quite so much yeah and i do love how you know the all-stars kind of call it out and say whoa ted you know you know, you act all big and bad, like you're the top guy and you're just really a lackey for Hitler. And he gets all offended by that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> well, I had a quick wiki, a wiki as we quick wiki as we were talking. And Mike Harris, he's now 60 year old, this young chap. And it seems that we, in the late 80s, he went into, you know, the old TV animation type route. So he's probably ah, being very, yeah. being very rich, having designed some of our favorite characters. Yeah, yeah. So he's still probably working and doing something out there, just a matter of finding what it is. But hey, good for him. Any anybody that's you know making a living, that's 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 good for them, man. I'm glad he's still doing something, whether it's you know comics or animation or whatever. That's great. Yeah. So what did you think of the fact that wartime and Hitler's plan depended on depended upon Britons being an, a cowardly, superstitious lot? Yeah, that was bizarre to me. I thought to myself, now listen, for Hitler to say something like that. And we know, you know, from history, he was into all sorts of occult stuff and weird stuff and stuff that quite honestly doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's for So for him to say that was kind of bizarre, I thought, that's kind of weird. Why would he say that? And, and given that this, this plan is being enacted by an actual wizard, so it's <laughs> a person which, you know, you know, it's not a matter of being cowardly and superstitious. You know, the threats are there. Their real magic is all around them in these stories. Yeah, and Hitler even has the Spear of Destiny, which he's using to do this and using to do that. So I'm just thinking he's he he should include himself in that then if he's yeah. saying about people being superstitious. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey, Mickey hypocrite. Now on page on page twelve, we have this uh, this this big vision in the sky of a face that the, the, the soldiers reckon is King Arthur. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it inspires them, but then it's never seen again, never referred to again. Yeah, that is a really nice panel there, too. I really like that. Yeah, do you think it's just there to inspire them? And are they really, I suppose they are really seeing him because there's more than one guy seeing him. But I mean, are we just to think that that moment King Arthur has appeared to inspire them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, I'll tell you what, this they really have show some pretty rough scenes in this one. You know, if the sol- some of the soldiers getting killed and stuff like that. Like, uh, what page is it that there's a, one of those robots is ramming a sword right through a soldier? And you see actual red blood. I mean, that was one one point which I went back to the original comic because I remember yeah. you never know, red blood was always black, but no, in the in the original comic it was red as well. So yeah, it was a bit, bit, bit more in your face. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty rough. I was like, wow, I couldn't believe they showed some of these scenes. Like, it wasn't even in shadow or. You know, a scene where it's like you see the sword getting ready to be plunged in and then, you know, it's on to the next panel. They actually show, you know, like I said, I think it's page 14 where one of them is just running a sword right through a soldier. It's like, wow, like oh, that was really rough. Yeah. And, and the art, the art particularly good on that. I think, and I think Vinnie Coletta enjoyed inking that page a bit more because suddenly things come a lot more into, a lot more into focus. He's, you know, he's, he's being a bit more careful with his ink and it looks great stuff. Actually, on page 14, the first the first line of dialogue where it's coming through the radio, this is former naval, naval, this is former naval person. What in blazes is going on down there, soldier? Did you understand that when you read it? 
No, I, that that struck me as very odd. I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah, do you look it up? No, I didn't. Uh-uh. Apparently, that was uh, Winston Churchill. He could have been in the Navy at one point, and he referred to he just sometimes referred to himself as naval person. Then later on, as he got further away from that, he would refer to himself as former naval person. But it's weird. I mean, if anything in the history of Merriton edits his notes from RT, that does. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I I just thought, oh, who is that on the other end of the radio? I wasn't sure who it is. And then, like I said, that's the poor guy. I think they get killed with the sword pretty rough there. It's like, wow. Yeah, it sounds like a very minor, very minor British superhero, a formal naval person. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. But how about on page 15? This is something that I really thought, oh, OK, you can really see the difference when you look through the pages, the ones that were inked by Coletta versus Dizuniga, because on page 15 there, that middle panel, that looks like, you know, you can definitely see that's Dizuniga there with the inks, especially on the guy with the radio with the blonde hair. Like, that really stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I thought, oh, yeah, you can really tell that's definitely not Coletta inking that. Actually, yes, mea culpa, that previous page, when I said when Vinny was working harder, that was Dizuniga as well, page 14. The faces, yeah. You can usually tell when it's the faces for sure. Yeah, and I think that's because I've seen a lot of Dizuniga uh, inking at Marvel during the Bronze Age. He did some Conan and this and that, so those faces really jump out to me. They really, they really do, and he also did. He also did the page with the big, the big head of King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's really, that's really rather, rather good. Oh, that's absolutely great. I love it. And then, wow, page fifteen again. There's a Churchill shedding a tear because it sounds like everybody there is going to be slaughtered. It is, and again, it's, it's it's like we've had four different actors so far playing Churchill, but this is a good one. Yep, yep, that's a really good one. And yeah, the next page is uh, where we see, you know, somebody come in here to save the day. But, you know, again, it's just the backgrounds on that page 16 are just, you know, full, like just one solid color, really, or there's not much detail in them at all. So those are the ones that I look at. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's, you know, it's hard not to think of Coletta when you see something like that. Yeah, either, rub, either rubbing out the detail or, as in the second panel, probably just making everything you know, very, very shadowed. Yeah, and there's a soldier getting ready to get, you know, killed with uh, a sword, and somebody stops him, and then we see it's our buddy Hourman. He and Blackhawk survived. I guess they parachuted out, and here they come to uh, try to even the odds here, which is great. I like that. Oh, I mean, we do get a whole, a whole page explaining how they how they got out, but I, I, I think we don't need I'd rather... That you you know they just left it to our imagination. Yes, they got out of the plane because they're, they're heroes and give give the give the page space, the real estate to Doctor Occult to do something. Yeah, that would have been better for sure. Yeah, instead of him just being you know basically uh, furniture in this issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, our man was basically he was saved by his magic towel. I mean, look on page eighteen, panel two, Blackhawk sitting on the magic towel. That's how he was saved. <laughs> Yeah, he's there. He's like basically kneeling on it there. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a nice touch, though, because that that might happen. You know, these cave, these capes are big; they're flapping around. That's a really, really nice detail from Mike Harris. And also, mm-hmm. like in the in the panel below, you know, Blackhawk's actually got his hair mussed up by the explosion. Good move. Yeah, I always thought too with these superheroes when you know they're the Hour Man types that don't fly and they have this giant, you know, flowing cape. Anytime they're near helicopter or an airplane and there's you know the the blades are spinning anywhere nearby there i'm like boy if they get caught on there they are going to be in big trouble oh too right i mean anytime there's even two you know non-powered thugs you know one of them fights them from the front the other one gets behind grabs the cape strangles them Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah for sure but uh oh and then we get uh you know wotan here he's trying to tell sir justin that he's going kill everyone you know kill this one kill that one and sir justin's kind of like hey, there's something wrong here. You know, he starts to finally uh, shake out of this uh, mental control. It, he does. It, you know, he's he's got the steadfast constitution mentally of an Englishman. That's what's going on there. Right. And then t- page 20. How do you like that top panel there on page 20? I really like that when his head starts uh, really like throbbing and he's trying to break out of it. Uh, the background there. I really like that quite a bit. I like that. I mean, I, I, like, I like the serpent of what's meant to be the Union flag. I mean, there's some... Very dodgy depictions of the Union flag in this issue, but uh, there's one or two that are almost plausible. But uh, <laughs> I just don't understand artists sometimes. You know, you've got you've got a flag to draw. There's reference there. Just 
try and do a better job with that. But yes, I like I like the I like the panel. I like the fact he's got his, his hands on his head as if he's a telepath. It's 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 a good good fun page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's Wotan again with his uh, you know his uh, cocky attitude, and he's like, my spell, my hold upon him, it's wearing off, and he's like trying to convince Sir Justin. It's a uh, Morgan Le Fay's sorcery. That's uh, you know that's he's seeing out there. It's not really. It's really the enemy. It's not really these. Uh, you know, heroes out there. I like that. Yeah. And on, on the on the following page, I just love the panel where Doctor Doctor Colt's explaining how he yes, I was useful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Doctor Fate's looking at looking at us going, Yeah, right. Yeah, he's like, dude, you were just in a cell doing nothing. What are you talking about? Yeah. And we see I like that bottom panel, man. We see Blackhawk, he's blasting somebody, and I guess he said they finally figure out that, you know, shooting at the uh the stomach area of the robots can stop them because up until then everybody was, you know, shooting at their head and it was doing no good. I don't know if there's more armor there or what. Yeah, but again, bit bit of laziness on Vinny's part because pa- panel three, Wartime totally in shadow, bottom page, bottom panel, <laughs> all silhouettes. Although I, I do enjoy the sound effect because we have crack from the gun, which seems reasonable. And then as the flag goes goes through the, the robot, sploing. That's the flag going through the robot, sploing. Yeah, that's an odd one right there. I do love on that top panel, though, where we have Sir Justin deflecting like a magical blast from Wotan with uh, his sword. I like that panel. It almost reminds me of like slightly like Kubert-esque. I don't know, something about it. I can see that. Yeah, there's a, a, nice, a nice simplicity to it. And then poor, yeah, poor Hour Man. You know, his, uh, his, his like I said, his hourglass is broken, so he doesn't know when his pill is going to wear off. And then He's in the midst of a hand-to-hand combat with one of these, you know, super strong uh, robots, and uh, the, the the pill runs out, so he's in big trouble. But he pops another pill, and you know, wham! He punches the robot, but you know, it's it's not good. He he can't be doing these back-to-back pills, and he just hits the floor. Yeah, but I get a case he's referring to as his new his new motorized Merclaw or machine Merclaw. So I mean, I don't think we ever see that in the issue. Mm-mm, no, you never saw that. Just you know, him saying about it, and then now the pill. Yeah, what do you think of his big hero shot on page 17? Oh, I like it quite a bit. I mean, he, to me, out like we said, our man, he's not like uh, one of the, you know, more consistent heroes in here, and he's just a guy that pops these pills, but I do like it quite a bit, and he's they're trying to signify that his hand might be broken there with those uh, red lightning bolt type things around there, and he's got it kind of cocked back, but it's not a bad page. I like it. Yeah, it's 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 canny, is that fun little little lightning pose? Because I I looked at when without reading the dialogue, I thought, oh, he's got that's a power in his hand, but not. It's just fun lightning bolts, pain, pain bolts. <laughs> yeah, pain, more like pain than lightning, I guess. Yeah, just to signify that. But you know, we we end on a cliffhanger here too. Is you know everybody's like, yay, the day is saved. But our man, you know, it looks like he's you know hanging on death's door here, and fate picks him up and takes off with him and. You know, we get next issue, Amid Life and Death, our extra-sized 50th issue special featuring the coming of Harbinger, which, you know, we all know what that's all about if we've read oh, Crisis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> panel, it's got, it's got, it's got another, another of those you know, impressive lines of dialogue that's just stupid, where you've got Blackhawk, I wish I could do a Polish accent, you've got Blackhawk saying, a lot of brave men died here today, Robert Man, to keep this country free of invasion for another thousand years. It's like, the war's not over yet, and you know, even if even <laughs> if you beat this war, that's not to say it's going to be safe for a thousand years. It's just it's impressive oratory, but it's meaningless. Yeah, it's kind of goofy, like you said. It's for if he would have said something like invasion for another, you know, couple of days or weeks or something, that would make more sense than yeah. saying a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, we've saved the day, but but back back to back to sound effects. So two panels above that. How about our man falling to the ground? <laughs> Plough. <laughs> when, when when I had my little heart attack a few years ago, yeah, there was there was no plough, sadly, but it would have made things a little better, a little more interesting. Yeah, how about it? Wow, plough. Yeah, that's an interesting choice there by I'm assuming David <laughs> Cody Weiss. <laughs> I don't know. He, he should have got the whole Hollywood plop. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be the artist. You never know. It's not one of the dialogue bubbles, so it could technically be the artist there i'm not sure about that that's that's always something that's in question when you see a comic it yeah i, I just i just love sound effects you know whether or not whether or not they're appropriate they bright in the page the ones that don't like is this modern this modern trend towards sound effects where someone's falling and someone will write 
fall or they're getting punched on the right punch. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's a gag once or twice in a, in a, in a kiddie, a kiddie humour comic, fine. But if you're gonna if you're gonna have a sound effect, we need the onomatopoeia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of goofy. Like you said, that's that just makes no sense at all. It's just it's kind of lazy if you think about it. Oh, it's just just dreadful. Just do better. Yeah, absolutely. But well, so what do you think here? Final thoughts on this two-parter. Final thoughts. Absolutely wonderful change of pace. It showcased a character that we haven't seen much of for quite a while. So Justin, it's a jousting, you know. Uh, you know, threw in a couple of guest stars, neither of whom actually did anything useful, but it was nice to see them because I think possibly one of Roy's hopes for the comic was just to get everyone in there at some point. Uh, and and it, I, I failed again to spot Hawkman. That's where's Hawkman? Oh, yeah, I didn't know if that I didn't know if he got him into this issue or not. You well, know, we got him into the story there. Look, I, I can't I can't see him at all. So, yeah, I, I know. I remember there was one time when when Roy didn't get me in the, in there, or, or there was some miscommunication, and the artist didn't draw him. And the next issue, I did the reprint the page or something and draw him or something. But uh, I don't, I don't think it was this instance. So I'm sure Roy will address it at some point. He's hiding inside the tank. How about that? <laughs> yeah, last time it was he was in a puff of smoke when <laughs> Robot Man mentioned Hawkman. But yeah, come to think of it, yeah, I don't know that I've saw him anywhere. I'd really have to go over this one with a magnifying glass because I do not remember anything. I think so. Well, if, if you know, if any of the listeners have an idea as to where he is in this comic or where he might be, let Billy know. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know because I'm not seeing it. No, Although there is, well, yes. there's an advertisement here, but that's not Hawkman. I'm <laughs> thinking that one advertisement for Sergeant Rock 405 and 406, Angels with Black Wings, but... That's not oh, Hawkman. Brilliant advert. I mean, it was impressive that they were pushing a two-part Sergeant Rock story, so perhaps our powers on the Weird Warriors podcast will get that at some point. Mm, yeah, that would be good to hear. I would not... Uh, I'm always tuning into that one every other Wednesday, so if anybody out there is not, definitely every other Wednesday oh, we have Weird Warriors I've podcast. I've got it. I've got it. Hawkman and Hawkgirl. That's not Winged Victory. That's Hawkman and Hawkgirl. There's a pantomime horse. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I'm sure Roy at this point, and like you said too, more to the point where he's trying to squeeze in, like you said, the Blackhawks and Dr. Occult, because you know we know at this point he knew what was coming with Crisis because the next issue, you know, it, it that's on full display. So he was really trying to cram other people in here that he wanted to and thought he was probably going to have the time to put in here, you know, but now... Maybe that's why he forgot about Hawkman in this one, because he was trying to get Dr. Occult and Blackhawks and everybody else in here. Oh, yes. Read me that last final blurb, Billy. It says, and somewhere, perhaps, the other members of the All-Star Squadron are doing the same. Well, I meant the blurb, actually, Mara. Sorry, the blurb. Next issue blurb. Oh, yeah. Next issue amid life and death, our exercise 50th special featuring the coming of Harbinger. Earth 2 will never be the same. Yeah, it won't. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, I, you probably saw I tweeted that out today because it just amused me because that's that's the least amount of hype in any box ever. Because boy, was I think even Roy at that point didn't I think didn't know the extent. I think I think he still believed that he'd have some kind of Earth two to play with, but he sadly didn't. Yeah, yeah, he does have a little uh, an extra little uh, box there on the letters page as well. It says next issue, a very special exercise fiftieth issue which will showcase several amazing turning points in the lives of all stars of the all-stars. You'll see what Johnny quick and Liberty bell have been up to since number 46. A little suggestive there, huh? You <laughs> <laughs> know what they do, don't we? He's mm-hmm. <laughs> taking yeah. his formula at bedtime. Or hopefully yeah. Not. Yeah. When you show up at the Perisphere uh, at night, eight, eight, nine o'clock in the morning, you never know what you're going to see. Right. <laughs> what, what were your overall thoughts, Billy? I thought they, this was very strong two-part story. I thought Roy was really at the top of his game with this one. I enjoyed this immensely, and like we said, not to poo-poo the artwork. It was you know serviceable and even good in some spots, but definitely the story really stood out to me that it was a very good story. Roy was great with this one. I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for letting me be here for this episode. I did ask especially. Thank you. 
No, absolutely, my friend. And then, uh, you know, to transition to, uh, you know, our next episode, uh, hopefully you, me, and Sean will be on. A little surprise there for the listeners. So get ready. Hopefully all three of us are going to tackle uh, issue 50 there, which is, a, like as, you know, Roy just said in that uh, blurb, going to be an extra sized uh, special issue. So we're going to tackle that, the three of us together, for a bit of a an anniversary issue there. So look forward to that one. I believe we're all going to dress up as our favourite All-Star Squadron members. I'm going to be going as Black Condor. Oh, you know what? I think I'll be, uh, is Dr. Occult an honorary member? I'll just wear a, just a shirt and just sit here and not do anything like a wallflower. <laughs> Wonderful. And hopefully, you know, we'll find out who Sean is next time. Mm-hmm. And then if anybody, uh, like you mentioned earlier, wants to get in contact with us, you know, if you know where Hawkman's hiding out in uh, issue 49 or any other bits of trivia, uh, please uh, reach out to the show. It's a world on fire podcast at gmail.com. And on Twitter, it's uh, at all squadron. And then uh, you're on Twitter as well. Correct. I'm on Twitter is at March Gray. And if you have enjoyed the show and you'd like to, you know, push it, please share the link on Twitter. That would be wonderful. Billy's posted it up there. So at all squadron, please do share. Thank you. And then definitely uh, give a peek and visit March blog as well. That's dangermart.blog as well. Correct. It is. Yes. Yes. There we are. Then uh, the Twitter is dangermart. Yeah. Then dangermart.com. I believe that will get you to too dangerous for a girl. So, Please feel free to drop by if you have a chance to read it. Great. If you fancy leaving a comment, lovely, but no need to. Just feel free to visit if you have time. Thank you. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. And we will be back in two weeks for our uh, 50th issue and uh, anniversary special. So uh, take care, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>